with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. This is the last in the series that I've been doing on, on the Scripture. And uh, I want to read a passage of Scripture. First off, I'm going to read the story of the, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So that's Luke 24. I'm beginning to read at verse 13. Luke chapter 24, reading from verse 13. Now the same day, two of them, that's two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to, this, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we have hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body, his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels and said, who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Then as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what, what had happened on the way and how Jesus had rec was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We, we, we live in a, in a very different age. We live in a, what's known as a freedom-loving age. I, I think we have to question at times whether what is called freedom is actually free. But nevertheless, we live in an age where people do what people want to do. And uh, the sad news we've all heard this morning reminds us of, that Diana, uh, with all the excellent work that she did and all that was so good that she represented, actually, a breath of fresh air or whatever, also almost epitomized the pleasure, freedom, modern lifestyle. Where it's okay, as long as I think it's okay. And like the old man croaked into the microphone about doing things my way, uh, it's become a sign of our culture and our day with some dreadful consequences, yes? And as a consequence, any idea of right and wrong and authority is challenged and ridiculed. We live in a culture that almost rejoices when the findings of the judiciary are questioned and exposed. As if those who actually lay the law down it gives us more room for manoeuvre if we can prove that they are often wrong. Uh, I used to be, years and decades ago, a teacher. I'm glad I'm not today. Now maybe I would still strike the same terror that I did then. But I think probably not. I think it's much harder. Because respect for authority in the classroom has largely disappeared. Same might be true, certainly, the same certainly is true of politics, if anybody ever had a vestige of respect and confidence, but it's still all part of the same thing. And this English disease, if anybody that's in authority, you knock it. And the same is in the church. That uh, leaders who lead can be greeted with a chorus of, who do you think you are? And, and we're, ch we're children of our culture, aren't we? We live in a society where it's right if it feels right. And everything is subjective and personal and, uh, and relative. Yeah? Post-modern man. So what about the Bible then? When, when, I, when I start to talk about a book that God breathed into, to give an absolute authority to, 
Do you, does it sound as if I'm advocating the support of the dinosaur cause? Or, you know, kind of lobbying for the Flat Earth Society? How, what place is scripture in the 21st century? Can we really believe that it's true? And do we, more importantly, actually have to do what it says? I have a suspicion. I don't believe in Martians, by the way, and don't confuse the two things. But I often feel it would be a kind of helpful key into our lifestyle and values if a little Martian just follows, or let's say an angel. Believe in angels? Yeah, okay. Well, then in that case, let's be biblical and have, a, have, a Martian, have a, an angel with a notebook, right? Who follows us round. Uh, and, and, and takes note of how seriously we take the scripture. Huh? It was Gandhi who said, I found out, you Christians, you're not as good as your book. If you were as good as your book, you'd take the world. And I suspect that the, the angel would probably come to the conclusion we had a great respect for this Bible, but it had gathered some dust in terms of its authority. So how can we know? How can we be sure? In a day when everything is questioned, how, how can you find the rock to stand on? Well, I'm assuming this morning that you're a Christian. And so it seems to me that the, the, the core question we have to ask ourselves is, what did Jesus say? What, what was Jesus' attitude? to this book, or the part that he had in his day. What did, what did the Saviour say? There are those who say that he was a man of his time. Fui. The reference that we've just read is the resurrected Christ. Right? This is the one that walked through the door and the door didn't move. This is the one who has conquered death and hell and the sin and the grave and he's, he, he's rising, he's about to ascend back to his Father. So what did Jesus believe about the scripture? What was his attitude to the scripture? Because he ought to know, really. Don't you think? <laughs> well, I would suggest that from the verses that we've read this morning, there are three things. First of all, the value that he put on scripture. It was some Bible study, wasn't it? I don't know how long it takes to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but by heck, it was a Bible study. Would you like to walk with the Lord Jesus and have him explain all about himself from all the scripture? I wonder what he talked about. And, and then he got into the upper room and he did it again. Did you notice? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So there was a peripatetic Bible class in all the scripture. So he would have told them about how he was there when the world was made. He would have explained to them how he would crush the serpent's head in Genesis. I wonder if he told them about when he bumped into Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. I wonder if he explained what it was like 
when he wrestled with Jacob at the book Jabbok? I wonder. He opened, he told them about himself from all the scripture. When he walked with Daniel in the fiery flames. Must have been a brilliant Bible class. I must get the video. I'm sure that he talked about the Old Testament laws and sacrifices. I'm sure he unpacked the Day of Atonement to him and explained how the Day of Atonement and the Cross of Calvary were one and the same thing. I'm sure he explained to them why it was necessary for the Lamb to be slain and his blood to be shed. I'm sure that Jesus explained this goat of Azazel, that the one that the high priest laid their hands on and sent it out to perish in the wilderness, bearing the sins of the nation. And of Jesus suffering outside the camp. He, he explained about himself from all the scripture. I dare say he talked about his friend David the psalmist. Psalm 22, where there's that vivid description of the cross and those standing around him, the, the bulls roaring. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He opened about himself from all the scripture. I wonder what he said when he got to Isaiah 53. Would you like to have the Lord Jesus give a commentary on the 53rd chapter of Isaiah? He was wounded for our transgression. It must have been a longer journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus than I thought. I wonder if they took the, the long route rather than the short route. And it, it, we, we're told in the passage here that he was explaining, verse 46, about his death and about his resurrection. And verse 47, he's explaining about the gospel. And he says, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And he's unpacking it all. Not only who Jesus is, what he came for, but what he's about to do in the nations through the, the outpouring of the Spirit, through the gospel being preached. And he did it all by explaining all the scripture. Don't miss it. All the scripture is all about him. He explained about him in all the scripture. And he knew the scripture well. Remember when he went for his bar mitzvah, Luke chapter 2, verse 47, and they cleared off, went off home. And uh, then they, on the way home, they found he wasn't there. Remember? And they, they cleared off back to Jerusalem, went looking for him. And they found him in the temple. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. At twelve. So Jesus is clearly very, very well versed in the Old Testament. And he says all the Old Testament speaks about him. And then you have the incident at the beginning of his ministry. When he's taken into the wilderness for, for 40 days. And Satan comes to tempt him. What does Jesus do? He just rounds on him and quotes scripture at him. All the scripture. 
And, and there's, there's a quite, quite a, an amazing statement that came out of the lips of Jesus. I'd like you not to miss it. It's found in, in Matthew verse 20, chapter 22, verse 29. And it, this is when he's talking with the, Phari- with the Sadducees about the resurrection. And Jesus replied, You are in error because you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. So here, here is the Son of God, fully conversant with the Old Testament particularly, in this context. And he's saying it all speaks about him. What's the value of the Scripture to Jesus? It's all valuable. It's all instructive. It's all, as Paul said, profitable. It's all important. It's all inspired and it's all spoken by God. Right? In all the Scripture. As one man said, the Scripture's a sure guide to heaven. Tells us all we need to know. See, if it wasn't for this, no, honest now, just think of it. What would we know about the resurrection by now? Where else can you find any teaching that Jesus one day will come again in the clouds in power and great glory? How, how else would we know how the world was made if it wasn't written here? There are some funny theories that, uh, you know, that we came out of a big bang, but, well, maybe we did. I don't think that's inconsistent in some of its aspects with, with creation truth. But uh, what, what was it? Where did, where did what went bang come from? You haven't answered the question when you talk about any big bang, the idea that, that, you, that my ancestor and yours climbed out of a primeval swamp by chance, you have a lot of faith if you can believe that, but where did the swamp come from? How else would we know what is right and wrong? Where, would we have dreamt up the Ten Commandments if they hadn't been given us in stone and in writing? How would Michael and Sarah know how to get their marriage right for two to become one, but for here? You see, we we would be in total ignorance if it wasn't for the Scripture. So there's a... the, The first thing is Jesus obviously put great value on the Scripture. And therefore, to read it, to know it, to learn it, to make serious study a part of our lives in terms of the Scripture is terribly important. Now notice, in in verse 48, Jesus said that you are witnesses of these things. What things? What things? You and I are witnesses of these things. Well, the things written in the Scripture, that's all he's talking about. That's the importance that Jesus, the value that Jesus put on Scripture. But then secondly, the reliability that Jesus saw in the Scripture. Verse 44, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. That there's, there's a must. That there's something about the Scripture which is true and which will run its course. He didn't qualify. 
He didn't say, well, there's much in the Old Testament which is true and, and that will come to pass. No, he didn't say that at all. He said that everything that is written of me was to be fulfilled. And when you actually look at the reference, he took a very, very strong line when it comes to the scripture. He said in John 17, remember, that your word is true. There's a, 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 again, it's not a, not a verse that we, we look at, eh? but think about this. He's arguing with the Pharisees um, about the Son of Man being the Son of God. And, and he's quoting them. It is in theological discussion. John 10, 35. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? And then Jesus went on. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Who said that? He's arguing with these people about his own nature. And he's saying the word of God said, and Jesus said this, and the scripture cannot be broken. Now Jesus said that. He also said it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. He also said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So the, the truth is that Jesus believed in the creation because he talked about it. Jesus believed in a historical Adam, made specific reference to it. He also believed in the flood. He also believed in Isaiah. One Isaiah. Now, there's a good, knotty theological problem for you. You can take that away and chew it over lunch. That there's a, a clear sense of Jesus' perspective on the reliability of the scripture that will not be broken. And that the, the, the psalm, the, the Old Testament, is full of such a perspective on itself. Let me just read you a little. I won't read the whole of Psalm 119. But uh, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues to all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. For all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey and the honey of the comb. Jesus was confident, convinced, sure, comfortable with what the scripture says. True, inspired, and reliable. That, that Peter writing uh, in chapter 1 of his letter, verse 3, says that, that God through his own power 
has given promises that are adequate for all things for life and for godliness. It's all written, it's all here, and it's all reliable. And I have a sense that we'll never have a firm faith in Jesus if we doubt what he believes. We'll never have a firm faith in Jesus if we doubt what he believes. You see, think now, when you became a Christian, how would you have known your need if the scripture hadn't made it clear? The, the law is called the school teacher, the, the person who tells us what's wrong with us to bring us to Christ. How, how do we believe in the first? Where does faith come from? Faith comes by the word of God. When we first believed, it's interesting that the times when my confidence in Scripture were highest were when I first converted and when I was baptized in the Spirit. The key points of God's dealings with me in my own devotional life were the times when the Scripture shone the brightest to my life. Hope that was so with you. But when I was first a Christian, what was it that helped me grow? Well, like newborn babes, Peter says, craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Taking in the word of God. How, how do we grow? And how do we go on? Well, we go on by inheriting promises, as Hebrews 11 puts it. So there's a the, the reliability of the scripture is there as a challenge to us, a call to trust and faith and proving God. I, I have a good friend who, uh, I was always impressed with it, a brilliant story. There's a book, um, Miracle Valley, of, of a farmer in, in, in North Yorkshire. Came from Yorkshire, but seemed to, didn't have too much of a disadvantage to him. <laughs> and uh, he had a number of farms between Thursk and Northallerton. A chap called Jim Wilkinson. And uh, he was quite challenged as a farmer as to whether what was in here would work for him as a farmer. So despite the economic sense that uh, argued against it, he decided that he would layer his land fallow, one in seven, as the, before set aside, all right, before he got paid to do it, he, he decided that he would do it. And uh, it was the talk of the farms around uh, Wilkinson's lambs had more ewes than anybody else in. And how the yield on his crops was better than the farms anywhere around the rest of that part of Wharfdale. The reliability of the scripture is there for us to prove in our circumstances. We are to be the inheritor of promises. But I would say there's also a third um, lesson that we can profitably draw. Not only did Jesus see the value of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture, he also recognized his authority. Clearly, in his, his thorough grasp of what the Bible says, he, he was also very careful to fulfill it. It says so here, that he, in his life, he was at particular urgency See, when he was on the cross, why did he say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Why did he say that? To fulfill the scripture. Because of Psalm, what is it was, I just quoted a moment ago. 
22. There was a conscious, deliberate obedience to what the Word of God said in his life. And the writer to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 40 where he said that um, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O Lord. That in the life of Jesus, there was a willingness to do what the Scripture says because the Scripture says it. I can't think of anything more alien to our trendy 1990s culture than that. The works that he did were the works that the Father gave him to do. The words that he spoke were the words that the Father gave him to speak. And yet, if you went to Sunday school, you probably sang a little song. The wise man built his house upon... Do you want that one? Well, you know, I have a different version with a slightly different tune. Yeah? About, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And the foolish man, he built his house on the... Sand. What is all that about? What is that telling us? Do you know? What was it that the wise man did to build his house upon the rock? Can I tell you? Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So for the Christian, wisdom is knowing what he says and doing it. He gives marvellous grace to enablers. This is not a stick to beat us with. This is a sure guide to help us to know the way forward. What did we read about Joshua last week? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but that you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. So the, the, the wisdom of Jesus was that he was prepared to let the word of God be over his judgment. Now, we have a very important choice to make here. We are people in two categories. We either bring the, the scripture to our judgment and we say, well, I think about this, about that, and I think that about this, and, and I agree with that, and I think that's outdated, and I think that that was probably a, a scribal error. And I, in any way, I don't agree with Paul in what he says about women. How could he possibly understand? Don't you dare say that. And what I'm doing, I'm putting Scripture under my judgment. Wisdom puts my judgment under Scripture. There's much to understand. You may need to get help in order to understand. But the Scripture is wiser than we are. Huh? That's the thought. God, in his word, is wiser in counsel than I am. And therefore, when I read the scripture, it would do me well to take it seriously. And the uncomfortable bits, you know, the bits that I don't like, 
We've all got them. No, there are bits we don't like. The, the Bible is very, very dogmatic and straight when it comes to sexual sin. Doesn't give a lot of encouragement to vegetarians. Do you notice that Jesus ate fish in his resurrection body? Ah, that's if you want to avoid getting um, BSE, you might do well to be a vegetarian. But uh, we don't make it a creed saying that's what the Bible says or to read it in. We bring our judgment under what the Bible says. You see, the bottom line is this. Let me ask you the question. It's an important one. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the saviour? Is he the friend of sinners? Is he God who became flesh and dwelt among us? Is he Emmanuel? Is he the Almighty, the Eternal Word? Is he the All-Knowing One? Is he? Is he the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him? Because I would suggest to you that his understanding of Scripture is better founded than yours or mine. If Jesus put such value and such confidence and reliability and if he did what the Scripture said I would, have, I would suggest to you that it's sound wisdom to do the same. That uh, if you're a believer and you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, loved you and died for you and uh, has come into your heart and is showing you a sure way to heaven, to, to believe what he believes, I would have thought makes good sense. That's not to say that in the process of coming to school, to terms with the scripture for yourself there are not some things that are difficult to work through. Peter said that of Paul's writings for goodness sake. So if Peter struggles, so will you. But the underlying value and attitude is terribly important. If, if, if you come to me and you say, oh, it's full of contradictions. Well then I'd like you to show them to me. I'd value that. I did once for the sake of the whole question of integrity, go through the whole scripture. It took me several years. I wrote a commentary on every verse and I, and I allowed every verse and the difficulties that it presented to face me personally. And I have to say, as I stand here, and I'm not saying it as an ostrich, I have found nothing in the scripture as I read it and looked at it and read the commentaries where I struggled. I have found nothing in the scripture to any point to tell me that this book has errors or contradictions or anything else in it. If there are, I haven't found them. If you want to find them, you probably will. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, we, we do live in a world that's shouting certain messages and values to us. And when we, Lord, we look at where that is taking this world, we see only decay and moral disintegration and, and confusion. 
And Lord, it's almost like a breath of fresh air. It's like a lifebelt to a drowning man to actually get our feet on something that's sure and solid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived your life to fulfill all that the Scripture said. Thank you for the confidence that you reflect in your Father's eternal word that will make us wise for salvation and show us the way to live in this uncertain day and world. Holy Spirit, we ask you, and I do ask you this morning, Lord, that you'll come to us. And where unbelief has been sown into our minds, often at school and in childhood, and things, we, we have just taken in things uncritically and called you to question, Lord, not only forgive us, but please take unbelief from us. Pray, Lord, you'll give us an honest, searching integrity where your word is concerned. Pray that you'll give us a healthy appetite that we might read it and understand it. We'll never grasp it like you did, Lord. But we pray that day by day, week by week, year by year, that as you came to those men on the road to Emmaus, that you'll come to us. And that, Lord, you'll teach us about yourself from all the Scripture. Open it to us, Lord. Give us a teachable frame of mind. And we ask you, Lord, particularly, that as we've been reminded this morning, that as we read your word, that faith will rise in our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.